Good morning, brothers and sisters. Can, every, can everybody hear? I think we're okay up here then. All right, uh, if we could turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel. We took a break last week and uh, concluded studying the book of James. But if we go to 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, and in the will of the Lord, we're going to attempt to cover 22, 23, and chapter 24 with the Lord's help. So let's go ahead and uh, begin our reading. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither, thither to him. And everyone that was distressed and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them and uh, were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what the Lord will do for me. And he brought them uh, before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with them all while that David was in the hold, that is, the, the, the strong place, the cave. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hareth. Hareth. When Saul heard it, heard that David was discovered, uh, the men that were with him. Now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Saul said unto his, unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards, and make you captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none of you that showeth, showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that feel sorry for me, or show, showeth me unto, unto me uh, that, that, that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. Then Doeg answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming into Nob, and Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, um, the son of Hittub, and he inquired of the Lord and gave him uh, the victuals um, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And the king sent uh, to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all the father's house and the priest that were in Nob. And they came all of them to the king. And, the, and Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Uh, and Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me? Thou and the son of Jesse, and thou hast given him bread, a sword, and thou hast inquired of God for him, that he stood, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as this day. And Ahimelech answered uh, the king and said, Who is faithful among thy servants as David, uh, which is the king's, the king's son-in-law, and goeth thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Uh, did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor unto the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing. 
of all, less no more, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and not all thy household. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. Because they knew that he, when he fled, and they did not show it to me, but the servants of the king would not put, their hand, put forth their, their hand to fall upon the priests. And the king said to Doeg, Turn and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests. Slew that day fourscore and five persons that were, with, that, that were the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, he smote by the edge of the sword, both men, women, and children, sucklings, oxen, asses, sheep by the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, a son of a high top named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar showed David that Saul slain the Lord's priest. And David said unto Abathar, I knew, I knew in the day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life uh, seeketh thy, uh, thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Let's look for the Lord, to the Lord for guidance. Your gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your scripture, how you reveal yourself uh, in it to us, Father. We just ask that your name would be glorified this morning, that uh, the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified, that we would learn more about him, Father. Give us ears to take in thy word, Father. Give us wisdom to understand it. Teach us, O oh Lord. We ask these things in your Son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, let's go ahead and start with this chapter. Like I said, we have a lengthy portion, and with the Lord's help, we'll cover maybe as a broad overview of uh, these three chapters. Um, and my intent is to go over some of the various themes, see some of the parallels of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and what it means to us today. A running theme um, that goes through, that's interwoven to these three chapters, it's almost uh, the, the subject of loyalty. Where does your loyalty stand? And that's a question that every Christian could ask themselves, where is my loyalty? Who has my heart's desire? Who am I looking to please? Who has my, my, my time, my efforts? Um, why is it that I wake up every day? Who am I serving? Right. And here we see and it's this is a very difficult time in, in the servant of the Lord uh, by the name of David. He fled, as we recall, from uh, Saul after he behaved himself wisely and how he made Saul to prosper, how he saved Saul from the hand of the, the giant, the Philistine, how Saul would look to conspire against them uh, by making his enemy uh, slay him so that he would look as the innocent. And the Lord would prosper David, and he would come back. He would demand a uh, hundred Philistines. David will come back with two hundred. After broken promise, after broken promise of giving uh, David a wife, he finally decides to give give him a wife, but not with good intentions. It's almost that Michael, my daughter, could could conspire, you know, against David. So David here flees, and um, and he comes to a place called Adullam. It's a cave. Uh, and verse 2, we could read that everyone that was distressed and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented 
gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there was with him about 400 men. Here we, David actually would uh, get the opportunity to see his father's house, his family, his brothers. Um, and we could see by him being anointed how his father didn't think much of him. He was the youngest one, uh, the, 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 the smallest and the most humblest. And here David would, would be able to see his family be encouraged by that. And he would, in, at this point, he was a general in Saul's army. He commanded an army. He wasn't, not the first time that he was a leader, but this is the first time in his life where he had an army that was dedicated to himself, that was gathered to him. And they were renegades or outlaws, not necessarily the best group that you would think would make up valiant men. And how we could draw the comparisons to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who currently right now is the anointed king, but rejected by the majority part of the world. He is the, the, the anointed one. How he would come and he would fight and he would look to save you and me. That, that, uh, that uh, phrase was mentioned this morning's prayer and we sang it in our Sunday school. He's the captain of our salvation. And how he, we, he has drawn our hearts to him, us, uh, valiant and, and honorable and sinless people. Is that us? Who is it that the Lord Jesus Christ attracts? It's the people that are in need. People that admit that they have flaws, that they have a sinful nature, that they need a savior, that without God, they're without hope. In life, there's, there's, no, there's nothing after death. They, they have no hope of the resurrection. And sad to say, a lot of people that don't find Christ, especially the, the, the ones that are well off, that have rich and fame, will look to satisfy themselves. Look for satisfaction out of every materialistic thing. The same thing with the poor folk that don't come to Christ. They're looking to obtain that satisfaction. And yet they won't find it. But here... We see Jesus Christ, the captain of our souls, how through weakness and defeat, he won the reed and crown. He trod his foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. In Luke chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ gives a parallel of, of this um, supper where this this. Um, I could find it in, in chapter 14, verse 16. And he gives the, this parable speaking of how the feast and how the kingdom of heaven is going to be. And he says that there was a man that, that wanted to make a great supper, right? He sent out the invitation. It was rejected. And what does it say? What does it say? So the servant came in verse, in verse 21 and showed the Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring thither, hither the poor, the maimed, and the halted, and the blind. And the servant uh, said, Lord, it is done what thou hast commanded. Yet there is room. There is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go unto the highways and the hedges. Compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. And that is the invitation of salvation that's still out there. For those that are in need, those that are, that are lame, those that are blind. Christ is waiting He's ever patiently waiting for us to come and turn to him. And the invitation is still open this morning to you. If you sit there this morning 
and you don't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you don't have any hope, the invitation is still out there. He's still waiting to be the captain over your soul. He's looking to win, win your heart and to save you. Do we stay lame and blind and halted when we come to the Savior? Do we stay in that poor condition down and out in our sin? Oh no, the, the, the scripture says something completely different to those who come Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should become children of God. And what does that mean? What does it mean to become a child of God? Well, it means that God, what, what He wants to do in your life, He wants to mold you. He wants to make you in something, into something valiant, something special, something useful, something that could be a testimony that could draw others to Him. And these laymen, these indebted persons, these outlaws, these renegades, David will come and, and He would take them, He would mold them into something amazing. In, in Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, you could read about it. Out of this group came the mighty men. There was a Dino who slayed 800 men, had a gr- great victory. There was um, there's quite a few actually that, that are listed there. But these are these men that were outlawed, that were indebted, that were sick. And yet the Savior would be able to use them for his glory. Likewise, Christ wants to change us into the image of himself. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ also. Christ, uh, the, the, the will of God is for you to be transformed into the image of his son. What does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter five seventeen? Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation, Behold, old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. He wants to make you a new person. We think of that passage where, where the Lord appears to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18. He tells him to go to the potter's field. And, and in verse... And in, um, in verse 4, it says, the vessel, this is so the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go to the potters and, and observe. I'm going to teach you a lesson there. And, and it says in verse 4, it says, the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Here, this lump of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. Not at any fault of the potter himself. But look what he does. So he made it again another vessel, and he made, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Now, aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't say that the potter grabbed this lump of clay and discarded it and cast it out? No, he would invest time. He would put pressure on that clay, and he will make it into something beautiful. How we are marred, how we are born into this life of sin, how we are without hope and here Christ and God want to save us and they want us to form us into a vessel of honor and how they want to make us into something beautiful and useful Christian allow the potter to have his perfect work in you sometimes the pressures that Christ that God puts in our lives are not necess- don't necessarily feel like something that we want to feel 
But he's trying to mold you and trying to make you into the image of his son. We need to not suppress the Holy Spirit. And we need to let the Spirit have its work in us. In James chapter 1 verse 17 it says that, that God wants to make us into a kind of first fruits. First fruits. So the first fruits are the first pickings of the season, right? So he's trying to show to us as the first fruits. This is what you could become. Something this appealing. And we need to have that testimony when we're out before the world. If, if you claim to be a Christian and you're always... Uh, not into the word and you're always depressed what are what's the world going to think of what christianity is but you if you're in the word and you're letting the spirit have its perfect work in you people are going to see that you have that satisfaction that your soul is fulfilled and they're going to want that they're going to want to be like that example those first fruits uh let's go ahead and move on seeing as we only cover two verses uh Verses 3 through 5, David looks out to for his parents. So he wants to protect his parents. There's some divided opinion over whether he should have sent them to Moab. We remember that David's great-grandmother was a Moabitess by the name of Ruth. And uh, maybe David was looking for some of those allegiances to protect his parents. I'll let you decide whether that was a good move or not. Um, now, verses 6 through 8... Here we see Saul coming up with this dilemma that he's losing the loyalty. Again, the theme of loyal. He's losing the loyalty of not just the people as they see that this champion David would win the hearts of the people by slaying the giant. He would see his son completely. His soul would be knit to the soul of David. And what a beautiful picture that is. What every Christian should do as soon as you come and, and, and meet and know the Lord, and the Savior, Jesus Christ, you should love him as your own soul. And he would strip himself of any uh, royal garments and he would give him his royal bulwark to him. He would just give it all up and he would freely give up his right in the throne. He would give up his seat to be king, the crown prince. And here we see Saul coming to that, to, to that realization that he's losing the loyalty of the people. He would go knowing what is in the hearts of men. He will look to see how to get their hearts back. And in his attempts, he does some folly things. He reasons with them. He says, look, he, Benjamites, talking to his, his own nation, is the son of Jesse going to give you riches? Is he going to give you captains? Is he going to give you power? And then he's, what he's emphasizing is, stay with me and I will make you rich. I will make you powerful. I will give you materialistic blessings. How we could think on the trials of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you go into the account of John chapter 11, right after he raises Lazarus from the dead. It says that the Sanhedrin would meet... And they would hear of this great miracle, how people's hearts were turning towards the Lord. And what happens then? It says that they gave them their, themselves unto the Lord Jesus Christ and believed on his name. Is that what scripture says? It says that Caiaphas would say it is 
expedient for one man to die that we lose the nation. Ultimately, he was saying, we have to get rid of him. We have to kill him or else we're going to lose the loyalty of the people. How he would be terrified of losing his place. In the Roman government, essentially. Because at that time, it was the Roman Empire who would essentially almost appoint these high priests. He would be afraid to lose favor with the people and to lose favor with the Romans. And they would look to conspire against Jesus Christ to keep the loyalty of the people. So Doeg, this Edomite, and it's worthy to note that he is not a Jew he is a long distant cousin named the Edomites. And he would speak up. He would jump on this tactic that Saul was using. He would tell, tell David, I mean, tell Saul where David was. That this priest gave him provision, inquired of the Lord, gave him a sword. And then Saul would gather up all the priests of the Lord, specifically in their white ephod, their robes of glory would come out white and gather all the priests of the Lord. And even though after cross-examining them, they would say that they're innocent. And Saul at this point was so paranoid that he would look to slay the Lord's priests. He would give a command. And luckily, his people had more sense than their king. They would not raise their hand to the Lord's priest and again he would turn to an edomite for him to follow through the work and he would again jump at the task to get that unjust wage my mind goes to a similar edomite in the new testament when he would have heard that the messiah was born that he is to be the true king and this Edomite, by the name of Herod, would look to secure his throne by slaying all the baby male Jews under the age of two. Willing to massacre, willing to do atrocious deeds to not lose power and maintain his power. And so Doeg, this Edomite, would go out and carry this deed and slay 85 priest of the lord and here saul would go into this wicked dark path he would look to reward and he would essentially he would kill the spiritual to reward with material christian this world is all about that looking for pleasure here and now looking to satisfy your soul looking to satisfy yourself with the pleasures now look at the dainties that this world has to offer First John, the apostle would say, love not the world, nor the things of the world. Don't sacrifice what's spiritual for some materialistic gain. Okay, with, with that, we're going to go to chapter 23 and just a very broad overview. Um, we're not going to read the passage, but just give a general scope 
here David hears that there are Philistines that are attacking um, the, the city of Kayla. And he, he inquires of the Lord, Lord, should I go fight these Philistines? And the Lord would respond. Uh, in verse 4, he says, he inquires of the Lord. The Lord answered. And the people that were with him were terrified, terrified to be in Judah. Nonetheless, to go fight the Philistines while they're wanted men in Judah. And David inquires of the Lord again, Lord, Lord, and the Lord is gracious. Go, I will give them into thy hand. Uh, in verse 11, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, uh, this is another case. After he saves the city of Kayla, he hears that Saul is coming. He inquires of the Lord, the Lord tells him. And then he inquires of the Lord, will the people of Kayla, the people whom he just saved, will they give me up to Saul? And the Lord answers, they will give thee up. So then he flees with the knowledge of the Lord. But look, look specifically at verse 14. It says, but, the, but God delivered him out of his hand when he fled into the wilderness of Ziph. It's not that David was a, a, a valiant man, which he was. Not that he was a mighty warrior, which he is. But it's that the Lord delivered him out of the hand of Saul. And he was a man after God's own heart. And he would rely on the Lord. And he would be in constant prayer. He would inquire of the Lord. How different it is from Saul, who would not inquire of the Lord. How he would have his kingdom rent from him because of disobedience. Imagine that he lost the kingdom because he would not literally obliterate the Lord's enemies as was instructed, the Amalekites. And he would spare them, but yet he would slay the entire lineage of the priest and slay an entire city of his own people. There's no measure of where sin will take you. Anybody that dabbles in sin and is in sin, there's no, there's no limit to where sin could take you. And that's the dark road that, that Saul went. And not only that, now that David is helping out, fighting off the Philistines, he goes to hunt them. It is a sad testimony that the people from Kayla would even give up their own savior. Reminds me of John chapter 7, I believe. When it says that after the people saw the signs, they believed on him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ would turn and tell them, if you truly want to be my disciples, right? If you truly want to be my disciples, actually I'm having a blank out. <laughs> Some, Malcolm, you could quote it for me. You can continue, my word. <laughs> you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free? Free from what? We're no slaves. We're sons of Abraham. And there their heart would be revealed. That they really weren't true believers. That they didn't take God's word. And the truth is there's some people claiming to be Christians nowadays that they're not true believers. Let us never betray our Savior that the one that saved us, let us fully give our heart to him. And so much for believing in him, they look to stone him immediately after that. What a sad testimony. So that's chapter 24. Chapter 23, I'm sorry. So where does your loyalty lie? Is it in man? Is it in fear of the big man Saul? Or is it in David? Is it in your savior? Loyalty. Chapter 24, 
runs very in, in um in theme by theme it, it it runs very close to chapter 26 and i apologize to ron if i if i thread a little bit on on his passage in a few weeks um i won't go over his chapter because we don't have time at obviously but I, I only reference to a few verses but here we see saul again hears of david and he goes looking for him and again david is betrayed by the ziphites in the wilderness of ziph and so he hears that david is is out there and he goes hunting for him at this point david's army grew to about 600 so david takes about 3,000. i could easily deal with him but little does saul know that he's not fighting against men but he's rebelling against god and he comes to a place in verse 3 he comes to a place uh to the sheep coats by the way and there was a cave and saul went in to cover his feet uh this is old english language essentially what he went in there was to use the bathroom that's that's what that that phrase means the the king dressed in his royal garments he would look to separate himself from his army to go to the bathroom to your shame Shame could be a good thing at times. It saves some human dignity. It separates us from the animals, essentially. Dignity and shame. And he would go in there to hide his shame. But little did he know that there was David. And nothing was hid from David. Saul, I, 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 it's a character that's very colorful and and very interesting to study his life because the lord never gives up on anybody i think of that verse in first peter the lord is not slack concerning his promise he's long suffering not willing that any including saul remember that and saul would would uh be appointed king and 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 he would disobey god and and through sin he would get this mental disease it seems like where the spirit of the Lord would afflict them. And yet the Lord would be gracious and still send them a savior. When he would be afflicted by the giant Philistine, he would be in his tent trembling to his knees. And yet God would be gracious and send him a savior. When his spirit troubled him, he would send them a savior. David would play the harp and would ease his mind. And how he would fight he wouldn't want he wouldn't want to give up his place in this life he wanted to be king there could only be one king king of my life i crown thee now thine shall the glory be saul never got there and and continually the lord would spare saul and he would send his servant david to be a savior to him and here it, it, it's sad to say it gets to a point where He's looking to rebel and fight God. That's what the world does. The atheist person out there will say, you know, we human beings have evolved from, from you know, just microorganisms. We've evolved from being multi-gods to sun-gods. Uh, and we've evolved to become the people that mostly in the majority, they believe in one God. Well, let's keep evolving, go even further and kill this one God. We don't need him. Psalms chapter 2, I believe it says, And the one who sits on high laughs. 
lives. It's almost a pitiful life. The one that they're raising their fists to fight against God. The one who sits on high laughs. How sad is that? That they would rebel against God. And here God is, is trying to work in the spirit of Saul. Almost like in the same manner how he's trying to work in Pharaoh. Showing him sign after sign. I don't know God. And I will not obey him. And God would reveal himself to Pharaoh. Through signs and wonders. Oh no, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart initially. He would give him evidence evidence and pharaoh would not believe it got to a point where this lump of clay that god is trying to mold would become so hard that there would be no salvation for him to the point where his own magicians and soothsayers would say this is the finger of god to one of the signs and pharaoh getting the evidence not from moses not from aaron but now from his own people from his own wise men would harden his heart and then the lord would look to harden pharaoh's heart and here we see saul getting further and further away from his savior to the point where now he's in the cave and he's trying to hide his shame his royal uh appearance and david would come out people would with david if it was anybody else Saul would have been pinned to the ground lying dead but david goes i will not lift my hand up against the lord's anointed he will tear the bottom of his of his trousers essentially and when Saul would walk out David would come out reveal himself to him in verse 17 Saul would speak to David thou art more righteous than I for thou hast rewarded me good whereas I rewarded thee evil verse 20 it says I know that thou shalt surely be king here it comes Saul's conversion he's so close he's realizing that David The Savior ought to be king. So close, but so sad to come to that realization that you can't save yourself, that you need to make Christ your Savior. And the sad, sad words in verse 22, Saul went home and did not leave with David. How sad is that? To be almost persuaded, almost, but lost. This is the second last time that Saul, in a sense, would see the Savior. The last time comes in chapter 26. And I will not try too deeply into the passage from our brother Ron that he's going to, I'm sure he's going to cover very uh, detailed. And we're going to benefit from it in a few weeks. But the sad, sad words, it was the same, almost the same situation, but now not in a cave and not, not face to face would he see David. But he would see him. Saul would go again to fight, rebel against God. And he would go pursuing David. And while they were sleeping, Saul would surround himself by all his soldiers with his spear and his, his, his water. Um, when, when they were falling asleep, David would go again. And he would take the spear, take the water. And it says that when David would speak out in verse 13, there was a great space between them. It hadn't always been like that, had it? There was not always that great space between Saul and his Savior. As we saw that he would be with him. He would play music to him to calm his soul. He would fight his fights. He would protect him. He would slay the giant for him. Now there was a great space. 
And after the same similar type of speech, verse 21, I have played the fool, I have erred exceedingly. Surely now, Saul, surely you believe. And how close it is when we witness to some people for many, many years. And how they come to realize that there's no salvation under any other name. And how close, but lost. And again, Saul went his way. And now, after this, that's the last time he sees the opportunity. And that great space becomes a great golf fix. As Lazarus and the rich man, there will be an eternal separation. And how, how terrible realization that is to, to, to see a lost soul when they're laying in that coffin, how it's too late. They've rejected the Savior too many times. The opportunity has come and gone. And Saul went to his place. In verse 25, Saul returned to his place. My mind goes to the account of Paul with Festus and King Agrippa. Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Brother, sister, I pray that these words are an encouragement to you. And if you're here, you don't know the Savior. And you keep turning Him away. Don't become a lump of clay too hard for the potter to do anything with. Don't push Him away to the point where the distance is too great. Don't reject the Savior. Turn to Jesus Christ now. He's looking to save you. He's looking to be your King He's looking to fight your battles. He's looking to win your soul. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for these Old Testament prototypes that just shed more light on the beautiful person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How He left His home on high. How He left the glories to walk amongst His creation. How he would go and fight the fight. How he would trod his foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. Through weakness he over hell prevailed. Through death he won the day. He won our souls, Father. And how he won our hearts. We pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know him as their personal Savior. That they might turn to their Savior, to, the, to Jesus Christ, and embrace him. We ask these things in your son's most precious name. Amen.